Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Bookburners, Season 4, Episode 6. Three. It was still dark when they got back to London. Perry opened the gate, allowing Grace to ease the van into what had lately been the delivery entrance of the primary school. Asante didn't wait for them to stop before she opened the rear door. Have you made any progress? She asked him. Perry nodded. Some, come with me. Even though the others hadn't explicitly been invited, Sal followed Asante to the school library. Francis's homemade orb looked strange, set against the backdrop of child-sized reading tables and construction paper art taped to the windows. Sal's heart leapt as Perry paused to give her an awkward one-armed hug in the doorway. There were moments he was so much like the brother she had always known, it hurt. Frances was in her wheelchair, which put her closer to the tabletops than the rest of them, and freed her tentacles to serve as a dozen prehensile tails. She used one to pull out a tiny chair for Asante while seamlessly manipulating the orb with both hands. Frances talked as Asante settled herself. Between Perry and Orb, we found a way to trace the metaphysical connections that Lydia had with other people in the London area. We found nine with some kind of tie. Everything we found online pointed to her being a loner, said Sal. Francis spared her a glance, but a glance was all. There are nearly 13 million people in the greater metropolitan area, and she had connections to fewer people than you can count on both hands. She was practically a hermit. Francis continued her update for Asante. Of those nine, two appear to have been co-workers at her bank. One was a direct supervisor. The other was a co-worker, although we're not sure why he had a connection when no one else in her office did. My theory is workplace affair, but who knows? What about the other seven? Asante asked. Dead? What? That was Gray's. Why didn't we find them before? Asked Sal. Francis shrugged. We were looking for artifacts, not murder victims. Francis turned a series of dials, and the orb projected a pattern of dots connected by glowing lines on the ceiling. Eight of the dots were deeply interconnected. The other two formed a triangle with the point in the center of the cluster, which Sal guessed represented Lydia. Given that we could pick up on the metaphysical links at all, post-mortem, Francis continued, they must have been incredibly strong in life. More sisters of the forest? asked Minshew. Francis nodded. That's our theory. If you can find people by their metaphysical connection, can you find Norse? Liam asked. 
Murderer and victim has to be a pretty intense tie. Francis sighed. I did try that, thank you. But we can't trace Norse with the orb. Either he's deliberately shielded himself from us, or two years in a shadow dimension has altered him to the point that the orb no longer recognizes him. Could he be carrying a demon? asked Manchu. Francis shrugged. Find him and bring him back here, and I might be able to tell you. For now, it's all guesswork. Sal grimaced. Of all possible options for what to do when we find Mr. Norse, bringing him back to London so that Francis could play 20 questions wasn't even on the table. What about the wolf pelt men? Asante asked. Perry answered, all Aaron in his diction. The brothers and sisters of the forest are descended from pagans who went underground when Catholicism took over the continent, then fled into the hills rather than be discovered and destroyed during the European witch hunts and French wars of religion. They still speak old French, and the brothers live isolated in the wilderness, except when they attend the market or canum, or when they gather for seasonal fertility festivals. He paused, and his voice altered slightly, taking on more of her brother's tones. I guess not all of those medieval accounts of pagan forest bacchanals were made up. Perry had been addressing his remarks to his own reflection in the library window, but turned when he noticed the silence that had fallen over the room. Well, sorry, he said. That isn't what you were asking, was it? Finding them has been tricky, said Francis. The brothers don't keep a fixed address, and they aren't on any official records that I could find in France, Switzerland, or Austria. Liam let out a low whistle. Tough to be that far off the grid in continental Europe. If there are no records, that means no hospitals, schools, bank accounts. Or it means they use their magical abilities to keep themselves hidden, said Sal. Francis turned to Asante. Using their ties to Lydia, I made some headway finding them, but I'm having trouble pinning down an exact location. I was hoping you could help me. Asante gave a sharp nod and cracked her knuckles. Let me see what I can do. For a few glorious moments, he had no name. His mission and purpose consumed him completely, and the small boy who plagued him with his constant whimpering in the corner of his mind was gone. Everything was gone, except for the hot blood on his hands and the cold snow beneath his feet. But eventually, as it always did, the blood cooled and he was left alone again. Alex. Alexander, Mr. Alexander Norse, Norse Alexander, Mr. The whining of the boy in his head grew louder. He forced his eyes open, forced himself to concentrate on the world outside himself. He was not in a house of endless corridors that led nowhere, of rooms with vanishing doors and tormenting voices. His feet burned with the cold of the pristine white snow beneath them. He blinked. No, not pristine cobwebbed with red that even now leached and stained. Red ran in rivulets from his hands, spattering the snow, his pants, himself. His feet grew numb as they became accustomed to the cold. His breathing calmed. Alex, Alexander, Mr. Alexander Norse. For a moment, he was free of pain, and time stretched before him, calming and pure. He reveled in it, even as he knew his list was not yet complete. Soon, though. Soon. Asante, eyes locked on the intricate spinning of a pendulum she had hung from the orb, rattled off a set of coordinates. 
Out of the corner of her eye, Sal could see Francis writing them down. That's somewhere in... Her eyebrows knit as she did the mental calculations. Eastern Switzerland, Liam supplied, not far from the Liechtenstein border. How quickly can we get there? Asked Sal. Liam was already on his laptop. Oh, it's gonna be a while. With no commercial flights out of London, we'd have to get to... Asante cut him off. I can get us there in five minutes. A pause? Maybe less. How? Asked Manchu. I've been researching the book the maîtresse willed to me. I believe I can use it to open a portal. You want to take us across the continent with a magical portal? Liam asked, voice dangerously flat. Asante nodded. Sal didn't wait for Liam to continue his objection. You believe you can open a path? She asked. I haven't had a great deal of time for experimentation, Asante bit back. But the theory is sound. Liam made a skeptical noise. Sal could hardly blame him. On the other hand, if they didn't get ahead of Norse now, how many more would die before they tracked him down again? Every moment they waited, their chance to locate him grew slimmer. She nodded to Asante. Do it. She raised her voice to address the room at large. Anyone who doesn't want to take the risk, no one will blame you for staying here. You have five minutes to make up your mind. Liam wished Sal hadn't given him the choice. He was getting better with magic, since he had to, now that it was everywhere. At least he thought he was. And then something like this happened. Asante chalked a circle on what had probably originally been a play yard, back when kids were allowed to play on concrete. Now it was just faded tetherball cords with the sheared off poles and a couple oil stains that had probably been left by the head's car. Asante stood in the center of the chalk circle and opened the maitresses book. Liam flinched, then chided himself for it. Sure, they had ended a lot of crises by closing books. That didn't mean that all you had to do to start an apocalypse was open one. At least you didn't end the world by opening this one. This time. Instead, Asante began to chant, because nothing made magic better than some bloody chanting. Liam told himself that he would draw the line at animal sacrifice. If Asante pulled out a cat and a silver knife, he was out of there. Not that Liam was a huge fan of cats, but that was the point, wasn't it? He was even against the sacrifice of animals he wasn't all that fond of. A silver dot appeared in the air in front of Asante. Maybe it's just a reflection, Liam told himself. A glint from my watch or the wing mirror of a passing car. Nope, it's not moving. And it's getting bigger. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, it's getting a lot bigger. Soon, a disc the size and shape of a bank vault door was floating perpendicular to the concrete. Through it, he could see a snowy mountainside. Where's Norse? asked Liam. Asante shot him a look. This isn't an exact science. I opened the portal as close as I could to the coordinates we got from the orb. This isn't a science at all, Liam muttered, but Sal was nodding as though this were all perfectly normal. Liam could feel cold mountain air pouring out of the portal and over his feet. The ground seemed softer now, rubberized. Maybe this hadn't been such a death trap of a play yard after all. He looked down. The concrete below the portal was wavering. That's not good, he thought. He wasn't the only one who noticed. What's happening to the ground? asked Grace. I've opened a rift in space to connect two locations separated by thousands of kilometers, said Asante. Best guess? That takes a lot of magical energy and it's leaking. Let's not keep it open then, said Sal. Grace, take point. Asante, I assume you're going last? Yes. 
Grace was already stepping through the portal. Sal motioned for Manchu to go next. Sal turned to Liam. You don't have to go if you don't want to. Liam swallowed. Why wouldn't she just tell him what to do? Do you need me there? I think you'd be useful. Liam squared his shoulders. Then I'll come, he said, hoping he sounded more assured than he felt. With one last glance to be sure that Sal was right behind him, Liam took a deep breath and stepped through. The air was cold and the snow crunched beneath his boots. There was no other sense of transition or travel. One step he was in London, the next the Swiss Alps, ears popping painfully with a sudden change in altitude. If something had changed or altered him in the journey from one to the other, he had no sense of it. Liam could see the footprints that showed where Grace and Menchu had preceded him. Looked like they'd headed up the slope and over a small rise. Okay, he told himself, that's the hard part over with. Now the job was simple, find the brothers of the forest, set an ambush for Mr. Norris when he came to kill them. Liam managed to believe that right up until the moment he crested the hill and got his first look at the other side. The mountainside was a slaughter. Gouts of blood flowed over the snow, sprayed tree trunks. Something in Sal's gut twisted. They were too late again, too late by moments. The air was filled with the stench of blood, even worse than it had been at Lydia's house, which shouldn't have been possible given that they were outdoors. But here, there was so much more of it. A dozen bodies lay in pieces on the snow. A dozen wolfskins torn and flung upon the ground. What had happened to Lydia was horrifying. This took that horror and obliterated it in a wave of blood. Grace was at her elbow. Do you want me to get a gun now? She asked. Sal did not hesitate. Yes. Grace held her eyes for a moment, searching for something, and seemed satisfied by what she found. All right, she said. The warmth of her hand and Sal's palm lingered after Grace was gone. Sal shoved her hand into her pocket and forced herself to focus on the present. There was no sign of Mr. Norse. The brothers had been alive when Asante had used the orb to find them. It had taken a little more than Asante's promised five minutes to complete the spell that brought them there, but it hadn't been more than half an hour. The blood from the bodies still steamed in the snow. How had Norse killed a dozen men and then vanished so quickly? She huffed a laugh. They had just portaled from London to Switzerland in an eye blink. Norse could be anywhere in the world by now, and she was no closer to finding justice for his victims. Maybe Asante was right. Above Sal's head, a branch cracked and a pile of snow fell to the ground. Reflexively, she looked up right into the snarling face of Alexander Norse. Four. Liam tried to tell himself that everything happened too quickly for him to react, but it was a lie. He saw everything with the horrible clarity of a car accident. Norse flung himself from the tree, caught Sal by the jacket and threw her backward, sending her skidding through blood-covered snow. Manchu ran at the wizard and Norse tossed him off with no more thought or effort than he might use to fling a coat onto a sofa. Asante was chanting, which Liam was willing to put in the good column this time around because it meant she was doing something, but also bad because it meant she wasn't finished yet. Liam knew he should do something, but his mind was blank. They hadn't known what they would find here. They hadn't had time to make a plan. He had lived by the grace of his routines for years, and now he had nothing. 
Sal was picking herself up, slowly, too slowly. Manchu still lay motionless in the snow. Mr. Norris had drawn his sword and was advancing toward Asante. Fuck, he had to do something. Stop Norris, help Sal, check on Father Manchu. Liam stood, frozen with indecision. Where the hell had Grace gone off to? Miles away, Grace burned until she found a small village tucked into the cleft of the hills carved by a swiftly flowing watercourse. The river had given the town its life centuries ago and maintained it when the rail line passed it by hundreds of years later. As she neared the town, Grace moved at human speed, approaching from the wrong side, from the mountains, not the road. It didn't take her long to find what she was looking for. A house set apart from the others. A single chair on the tiny porch where a man in his 60s sat enjoying the light of the long summer evening. Gun ownership rates in Switzerland were among the highest in Europe. With no standing army, every Swiss adult man served in the reserve militia, trained in the use of firearms, and issued a rifle to be kept secured in his home. Once a man had aged out of his required service, he could apply to keep his rifle and a small amount of ammunition. As long as he was considered to be of good character, the request was usually granted, especially if he had a good reason for it, such as living in a rural area where he might hunt to supplement his winter diet or need to defend himself from the occasional bear. The rifle was locked in a safe in the man's wardrobe, ammunition in a box beside it. Grace cracked the lock with a bit of effort and took what she needed, closing it up behind her. The man did not see her enter or leave. She left him watching the early sunset as the shadows lengthened across the valley. Grace needed to get back to Sal and get this over with as quickly as possible. She burned. Sal shook off the last of Norse's blow and ran to catch him before he reached Asante. Asante, who was chanting as fast as she could. Sal hoped that she was going to pull off a miracle. She hoped she would have time. Sal slipped and skidded in the bloody snow, fell to her hands and knees, pressed to her feet, and fell again. Her throat ached from the exertion and the cold and the tang of blood in the air, and she wasn't going to make it. Why had she sent Grace away? She couldn't see Manchu, but not five feet from Norse stood one last hope. Liam, Sal screamed, stop him. Liam was just standing there. Had Norris hit him with a spell? Was he enchanted? Frozen? But no, he turned to face her. A short nod and he plunged into action. Liam charged for all he was worth, but Norris had heard Sal's shout and saw him coming. Even as Liam reached out for him, he turned, arm outstretched, a dark, twisting spell forming around his hand. Liam forced himself to keep running. He had a mission now. He wouldn't let the others down. He braced himself for whatever Norse was preparing. Asante finished first. Her glowing spell flew from her fingers and surrounded Norse with a cage of light. Norse's attack fizzled in his palm. For a moment, he looked surprised at the magic surrounding him. He poked at the glowing strands of Asante's incantation as though to find the limits of his bindings. He unraveled a few strands. With a gesture, Asante wound them back tighter and brighter than before. Norse threw back his head and laughed. What's so funny? Sal demanded. Look at you, a police detective, an archivist who fancies herself a magician, a priest and hacker, and... His gaze turned, looking for Grace. Where's the other one? Ah, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. Not in the end. What do you mean by that? Asked Sal. Norse shook his head. It's amazing. You've chased me across a continent, and you still have no idea what's going on.
Sal took a few minutes to satisfy herself that no one on the team was suffering from anything worse than a few bumps and being closer to hypothermia than they might like, then returned to where Asante held Norse. At least for the moment, they remained at a standstill. For every move he made to escape, Asante was ready with a counter. What worried Sal was that while Asante appeared to be using most of her concentration to maintain her spell, Mr. Norse seemed casual, relaxed. He even bantered. Are we going to stand here forever, Asante, until one of us is frozen and covered in snow? If we are, word of advice, the one of us who isn't surrounded by a magical binding is probably going to find that more trying. I suppose the concerns of the body are secondary when you're just borrowing it, said Asante. Superficially, her tone was equally light, but Sal could sense the building strain. I'm sure I don't know what you mean, said Norse. You really think you're still Alexander, Norse? Asante said. That you've been years in a shadow dimension and didn't pick up any hitchhikers? He scoffed. The old tune won't work a second time. And how would you know if I had a demon or not? I know you consider yourself a magician of some ability, but it's only because you're surrounded by abstinence. You've been the one-eyed queen in the land of the blind for years. But now the world has had its eyes opened. You're about to learn how blind you are. Really, said Asante. Tell me what I don't know. Schoolyard reverse psychology now. Unworthy of you. A tap at her elbow and Sal turned to find Grace, a bolt-action rifle in her hands. Sal nodded. Thank you. She reached for the weapon, but Grace made no move to hand it over. I can take the shot, she said. I've killed before. You don't have to carry this. Sal didn't think she could love Grace any more than she did in that moment for making that offer. But this wasn't a weight that Grace could take from her shoulders. My team, my call, my shot, said Sal. But thank you. Grace nodded and gave her the rifle. Asante could feel her muscles shaking. She tried to keep the effort out of her voice, but she sensed that Norse could hear it anyway. He was toying with her. All of the jibing and bluster were designed to keep her occupied, to wear her down. It was working. But when Asante wanted to falter, she thought about the maitress cut down on the stones before the market she had maintained for centuries with nothing but her power and force of will. That extraordinary woman might have been able to save them all from what was coming. And this man had murdered her like she was nothing, like she didn't even matter. Asante, a voice interrupted her concentration. Not Norse, this was outside their verbal arena. Someone else, Sal. Asante. She couldn't answer. Talking would require too much of her attention. Sal continued. If you can hear me, I need you to let go. Let the spell drop. We're ready. Ready for what? With what? Sal hadn't said. Just asked her to drop the spell to trust her. Did she? Despite all of their differences, all that had happened over the last year. Yes. Asante let go. A loud crack followed by the acrid smell of gunpowder. Asante blinked. It turned. Sal held a rifle leveled at Norse's heart, smoke wisping from the barrel. Mr. Norse looked down. The bullet hung inches from his chest, suspended in midair. He frowned, then looked at Sal. Really? You thought that you could just shoot me. I am a wizard, 
I have spent years researching, practicing, steeping my very being in the essence of otherworldly powers most humans cannot even imagine. I am supported and driven by masters who make my own learning look like the fumblings of a scared schoolboy. And you thought I could be taken out by this? With a flick of his fingers, Norris sent the bullet hurtling back toward Sal. Grace snatched her out of the way a fraction of a second before it could pierce her chest. Norris's eyebrow went up. Yours is a mystery I should have devoted more time to exploring when I had the chance. Alas, now I am preoccupied with other business. He turned. Come, Asante, I will kill your friend soon enough. But first, why don't you enjoy your own hospitality? Before the others could move, Mr. Norris seized Asante and flung her behind him. Asante found herself tumbling not towards snowy ground, but into a wavering disk of magic, not so different from the doors she had opened to bring them there. She did not think this one would take her back to London. That's what he was doing, she thought, stalling for time, building a trap of his own. There was nothing she could grab to catch herself, nothing within her reach at all. Nothing except for Mr. Norse. And so she seized his wrists and dragged him down after her. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords, so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location, so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Five. 
Asante was in her grandmother's kitchen in Paris, where she had been sent for safety when she was a little girl. It was warm and filled with familiar smells and sounds. Her heart leaped in her chest. No, this was impossible. Her grandmother had been dead for 40 years, the apartment long ago rented to another. The location lost to time as well as to space. But still, she could not stop herself from hoping as she turned to the stove and saw her grandmother with her back to her, singing softly as she worked. Asante struggled to speak past the sudden lump in her throat. Was this death? Had Norse killed her? Bibi, is that you? The woman at the stove turned. She had her grandmother's apron, her warm and loving arms, her soft breast that Asante had sobbed into many times as a little girl. But she wore Norse's face. He smiled. Hello, Asante. Welcome to your eternity. Asante turned and ran. She ran forever, for hours, as fast and far as her legs would carry her, and still it was not enough. The halls of her grandmother's tiny flat stretched for ages, then twisted into the corridors of her university, to the labyrinthine halls of the Vatican, and no matter how quickly she ran, Norse was always right behind her. At least when he was chasing her, he was leaving the others alone. She had to keep running, had to keep running. No. The walls flickered like a film skipping a sprocket. The polished marble was worn through to plush carpet that sent up plumes of dust at every footstep. It was not carpet that Asante knew. This is not my nightmare. But whose was it? The only other being Asante had encountered here was Norse. Her heart pounded, almost drowning out the sound of the footsteps behind her in their implacable pursuit. But she forced herself to remain calm, to stop running. Her fear screamed. Asante's hand closed around the hard lump in her coat's inner pocket, the maitress's book, her gift and her legacy. If it was powerful enough to pierce the distance between London and the Alps, maybe it would be enough to punch through the walls of this trap and bring her back to the real world. Asante began to chant the spell. The second time in one day, it was almost becoming familiar. As she spoke, the walls that had resembled the stacks in the archives melted away, revealing the dusty, twisting halls of a faded manor. No. Norse was still out of sight, but his cry was high-pitched with panic. You can't do this. You can't bring me back here. But Asante did not stop. The walls of the place were solid, but thinning. Almost through. She heard footsteps more distinct now and risked a glance. Norse was running toward her from the distant end of a hall that seemed to stretch for miles. But instead of getting larger as he approached, with every step, he grew smaller. Not just smaller, younger. A boy no older than eight halted before her. Asante stopped chanting. Who are you? She asked. My name is Alex, said the boy. It took a moment for the name to slot into place in Asante's mind. Alex, Alexander. Alexander Norse. She licked the lips, gone suddenly dry. How long have you been here, Alex? I don't know. I found a book in the attic, and then everyone had vanished, and the monsters in the walls were saying scary things. Why did everyone disappear? Did my parents send you? That sounds very scary, Alex. The boy rushed at her, and Asante flinched, but all he did was cling to her skirts, pleading. Don't leave. 
Stay with me. Asante gently disentangled Alex, holding him at arm's length. I can't stay, she said. No, he pleaded. Don't leave me here alone. She could feel him trembling, just like one of her own children. Was this child the illusion, or was the adult? The adult she could not save, but neither could she abandon the child. She wiped the tears from his face. Close your eyes, Alex. This will all be over soon. She opened her book and resumed her chant. A flicker of silver appeared on Alex's chest like a button. The walls of the manor house quaked and trembled. Alex flickered between the abandoned boy and the man who had attacked them in the snow and every moment of his life in between. The silver flicker grew, a medallion on his chest, a silver shield. Blood bloomed around it as Asante felt the spell pierce the barrier between this prison and the waking world. The boy's eyes flew open, filled with fear and betrayal. I'm sorry, she said. Around them, Norse's prison crumbled. Grace was acutely aware of the passage of time. In the moment since Asante and Norse had vanished into the portal, since the portal had sealed itself behind them without a trace that it had ever been, she took three breaths. She felt the cold wind sting against her cheeks. She reached for Sal's hand and touched her fingers. And the next instant, before their fingers could close around each other, before anyone could ask what had happened or what they should do next, a new portal opened and Asante stepped through. She carried the body of a small boy, about the size to have once attended the primary school that was now their headquarters. He hung limp and dead in her arms. Who is that? Menchu asked. This is Alex, Asante said, voice choked. And with those words, all of her bottled grief burst through. She sobbed into Menchu's shoulder as he held her. She cried the whole way home. Epilogue. Grace sat next to Sal on the train for the last leg of their journey to London. Given Asante's emotional state, no one argued against taking the long route back. Grace tried to read, but couldn't concentrate. Sal was too quiet. At last, she stopped staring at her cheap paperback and laid her head on Sal's shoulder. She felt the other woman stiffen and sat back up. Sorry, I, no, I was just, Grace signaled for Sal to go first. I didn't think you were into public displays of affection. You surprised me, that's all. It's been a while since my last relationship. I'm out of practice. Sal smiled. I can help with that. Grace put her head back on Sal's shoulder, glanced up. Sal's expression had turned pensive again. It'll be okay, she said. Norse isn't coming back this time. I know. Then what is it? Norse mentioned his masters when he was ranting at Asante. What if there's someone still out there pulling his strings? He was possessed. He was probably talking about his demon. But he said masters, plural. No law that says you can only be possessed by one demon at a time. Maybe, said Sal. Grace could see Sal wasn't buying it, but couldn't think of anything reassuring to say. Except that it didn't matter. Now that Norse was gone, something new would come along, whether he had been acting alone or not. Because something always did. 
and they would deal with it, whatever it was, when it came. They watched the landscape roll by in silence, together. It was late when they reached London, and even later when Asante finally slept. Munchu went to the school kitchen in search of a cup of tea and found Liam staring at a piece of cake on the counter. Are you all right? Munchu asked. Yeah, said Liam. I've been staring at this thing for hours, trying to give myself permission to eat it. <laughs> I'm bloody perfect. He looked at Menchu, and for the first time, the priest saw the depth of the other man's loss. How had he become so wrapped up in his own sorrows that he had missed Liam's pain? I'm sorry, said Menchu. In the space of a few months, our lives have turned completely upside down. No one blames you for having some difficulty finding your footing. Liam shrugged. That's a fucking piece of cake. I'll deal. You don't like magic. More than any of us, you have reason to hate and distrust it. And now it's everywhere. I should have seen that sooner. I, I let you down. That's not your fault, father. I'm a grown man. I should be able to run my own bloody life without a cue sheet. But then, something like this happens, and I just want someone to tell me what to do. Manchu squeezed his shoulder. You might want it, but you don't need it. I have faith in you. Liam huffed a laugh. At least one of us does. Manchu smiled and poured Liam a mug of tea. They shared the cake between them in silence. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.